Welcome to the Intesa San Paolo Talks. Hello and welcome to another episode in the Intesa San Paolo Talks podcast series. This time I'm in Milan at Intesa San Paolo's Galleria d'Italia in the Piazza Scala. And if you were listening to earlier episodes, you'll know that we came here to see an exhibition called From Clay to Algorithm. Well, we're back this time to visit Intesa San Paolo's main exhibition of the year, exploring the works of two sculptures, Antonio Canova and Bertel Torvazden. It's a unique collection which allows us to compare these two contemporaries and rivals. And it's housed in this magnificent building which is 100 years old and until 10 years ago was actually offices. It started out as a branch of a bank which Intesa San Paolo now owns. And it's amazing to think it was a, a bank because it looks like an art gallery. It's got enormous, beautiful high ceilings and columns and marble and all sorts of things absolutely everywhere. And this exhibition fills five rooms of this gallery. And with me here is Giovanni Morale, who is the coordinator of the gallery. Giovanni, thank you very much for being yes. here. What a lovely building. Yes. Nice to work here every day. Yes, it's uh, really representing not only the beauty, but the instant link between uh, beauty and money. So between uh, great exhibition and the bank. So tell me about this. Why did you want to bring together these two artists? What inspired you to make it your main exhibition of the year? It's an extraordinary exhibition because at the first time uh, that is uh, the comparison between the last biggest artist, uh, Italian artist, Antonio Canova, and uh, there is also other important artist, younger than Canova, is a Danish artist, but most important artist in Copenhagen, and Bertel Torvalsen, that live in Rome 40 years, and everybody knows them like Alberto, and so Alberto Torvalsen. <laughs> And uh, it's uh, extraordinary because it's the first time that you can understand and make the comparison between the big flower of uh, modern sculpture, Canova, and uh, another one that live more or less in the same period in Rome, that growth and uh, be a scholarship of a great statue in, uh, for all the 19th century. Were they at the time known to each other? Were, were, were they rivals, friends? You know, Did people compare them? Yes, it's a competitive relationship between the two, but uh, nobody can be so beautiful, so neoclassicism like Canova. So Torvalsen at the beginning is a very uh, huge, uh, uh, very difficult uh, to, to have uh, a colleague like Canova. But uh, we see in the exhibition that in the end, above all, when Canova died in 1922, Torvalsen changed his mind and became a really new things, not only a comparison, not only for the tema, for example, the biggest uh, masterpiece of the Free Graces, but Canova, when Torvalsen tried to copy Canova, when he, he was uh, more adult, uh, more okay. mature, changed his mind uh, and uh, tried to sculpture a new form of beauty, completely different of Antonia Canova. This exhibition brings together works from all over the place, from the Torvaldsen Museum in Copenhagen, from the St. Petersburg 
museum from private collectors moving big sculptures. Yes. I mean, physically moving big yes. sculptures around is very difficult. How long has it taken, for instance, to bring this together? It was very many years, three years. So it's a very huge relationship to move these works here. For this, this exhibition is, was last week the, the biggest and the most important exhibition in Italy with approximately 10,000 visitors last week. Wow. Above all because the scientific program is very huge and there is a great occasion after two centuries to see these neoclassicist and romantic statue and to see the relationship not only of two these big artists but also the Roman atmosphere of a sculpture. It's interesting you should mention that the neoclassical period that they're from because I've been talking to Alistair Smart, the London-based art critic, about these two men and the neoclassical period which they're part of. It was a movement that responded in a way to a lot of the excavations in Pompeii and Herculaneum that had just happened and there was a new sort of thirst and interest in all things classical, so Greco-Roman, the classical world. These were two artists, Canova and Thorvaldsen, who were responding to that and they created works in homage, if you like, but also sort of putting their own twist on the great classical sculptures. So when we look at their, their works, they, they look like classical sculptures, but what should we look out for to show that they aren't of that time? Yeah, very good point. They both put their own twist on it. So Canova was famous for sort of the sensuality, if you like, the way he could, he treated marble almost as if it were clay. He was, he was very sensuous, his use of the marble. So he would make a very, very hard piece of stone almost fluid, if you like. So there's a real sensuality. The most famous work of his is The Three Graces. You wouldn't think it was possible that he, this was a sculpture. Thorvaldsen sort of took on a lot of Canova's lessons, but his work is slightly more austere, slightly uh, cooler or stiller in, in his sculptures than Canova's was. So very similar, a respect there, but I think Thorvaldsen sort of almost moved beyond Canova's influence, we could say. Sometimes with these artists, you have this thing of, you know, they were brilliant when they were children, and other times, you know, what about these two, or either of them? Were they obviously going to be great sculptors? Certainly in Canova's case, he was sculpting from a very young age. In fact, there's, a, there's an anecdote told that when he was still a child at a dinner one evening with one of his, the few of his uncles around, he took a slab of butter and carved a lion out of it, and his uncle told him that there and then, you are going to be the greatest sculptor of this age, my boy. So it proved. And we sort of looked at what their influences were. How have they influenced later artists? People look back now on the neoclassical period as one of the important periods in sort of the, the history of art. It didn't last forever. It was certainly very important in sort of Napoleonic time and then moving into... And Napoleon was a huge fan of all things neoclassical. It was his favourite art movement, for example. And Canova and Thorvaldsen, I should say, worked for these great popes and, and Napoleon himself, the great dukes and monarchs of that period. Moving on, like any movement, it had, they both had their followers in Italy and just across Europe. Then by the time of the Impressionists, slightly later on, you know, the art world had moved on to slightly more modern subjects. Impressionism was the movement of modern life, so things had moved on by then. But certainly that period, hugely popular. You had British aristocrats, in fact, aristocrats from around the world wanting to buy up their works, and therefore they had a lot of followers who made works in their sort of style. And great to have... As you say, this not happened before in, on this scale. Great to have these two sort of contemporaries and in, enormous artists brought together at, in, in one place at the same time. Absolutely, particularly Thorvaldsen. A lot of his work is in the Thorvaldsen Museum. Anyone who's been to Copenhagen recently made, have paid a visit. It's a, a very big deal in that city, right in the centre of town. 
after he'd spent about four decades in Rome, by which point he returned to Copenhagen and sort of as a legacy to himself set up this museum there. So it, it can be difficult to see his work on any grand scale outside Denmark, but this is an opportunity to do that. So that's the art critic, Alistair Smart. One of the great things that Alistair was saying, and also Giovanni here was saying earlier, is that this exhibition brings together these two artists and you can compare them side by side. And we've moved now to what I think must be the centrepiece, Giovanni, yes. of your exhibition. These two sculptures, very similar to look at. They're both of the three graces, very similar compositions, but one is by Canova and the other by Torvaldsen. Tell me why this is the sort of front and centre of the exhibition. Yes, it's the centre because it's the first time that the two free graces are together and may compare to, and everybody can see the differences, it's not only in the book, in the history of art. So it's a great emotion. Canova realised and created the first free graces, so it's created for the first wife of Napoleon, and after it was uh, this uh, masterpiece was uh, sold to the Tsar. Alexander I. So why the frizz grasses of Canova are possible to, to see in, the, in St. Petersburg? The frizz grasses of Canova is perfect. It's a, a huge, important statue we can see in front in the late A, but also in the late part B. It's a statue of a 36th grade. You can right. see all around. Torvalsen created a group of goodness but you can see just only in the front part because it is created for a unique vision. So Torvalsen have the too much dependency of idea of creation of Canova. We don't find something of news in Torvalsen languages. But we can see that it's just only the beginning of this vision. And when, above all, when Canova died, Torvalsen understands that he can change completely and the creation, the uh, realization of sculpture in changes mind and created very something of new. Maybe just because I heard Alistair talking about it, but I think I can see a, a softness in Canova's work, me, a critic of Canova, a softness in Canova's work at a sort of slightly harder edge. It uh, wants to give monument, lightness, beauty, harmony, so it's something of more of my sculpture. We'd be here all day if, we, if you told us about all of them. So, so is the one in particular that you think we should go and see? There is a lot of uh, statues. It's something very difficult to find. I like, uh, above all, in the entrance that you immediately you see the masterpiece of Hermitage Museum, the Trade Graces. So there is a, a beautiful bust of Napoleon one made by Canova and one of Torvaldsen. In, well, in that one, yes, we can see. We can go and have a look right yes. now. We'll, we'll walk through. And so in this, Canova win, I f is, in my okay. opinion, Torvaldsen. But... But you're Italian, Giovanni, so you... Uh, so do your, no, you're, no, no, no. Yeah, <laughs> because um, the Napoleon of Canova is very uh, psychological, very, very, very inside strength inside. Right. And uh, in Torvaldsen is just totally the, the, the beauty but the beauty is not enough. Okay, so let me just explain that we've left the main entrance yes, hall now, and we're uh, now in the area. That's very busy. Lots of people uh, coming. Yes. There are school parties, all teenage children, just captivated by these works of art. It's, it's, it's uplifting. So this is what, a, a, a sort of one and a half times life-size? See, like a god. Yes, he looks like a like god. A... But in the same time, he's very, very, the inside, strange inside the statue. So this is the, the, 
the new things of Fenova. In the other part, you can see the uh, Napoleon of Turmalsen. I see. Very perfect. Great ability to work the marble. But at the same time, even if it's uh, magnificent, it's not, it's not able to compare to Canova. But at the end of the edition, you can find a very good Torvalsen. Well, let's go and find that then. So we're, we're, we're off again. So we're leaving this second yes. main room. There's a, two or three side rooms off the... Now, we're in a, in a room with seven full-length sculptures. And again, we're in front of... So this is where Torvalsen... Yes starts to improve or starts to catch up. Is that right, Giovanni? Yes. Tell us Hebe. what we're looking at. This is uh, the Hebe of Canova, and this is the Hebe of Torvalsen. But in Canova, we can find the movement. It's impossible to copy. You can say it seems like a, a goddess that uh, just landed in, on it's, the land. Yeah. And, and they give exactly the, the ambrosia liquid on, in his cup. And can I just say that, that, that for me, as a, as a sort of, you know, I'm not a, an art expert, but the, she's wearing a, a sort of chiffon-type yes. skirt, which I mean, looks like chiffon. It's made of marble, yes, and, you, and you have to remind yourself it's, it's made a, of marble. It's, it looks like chiffon to me. It's impressive. absolutely extraordinary. Also you can see the, the wind that come and change the different part of this uh, chiffon. Turvalsen understands that it's impossible to copy Canova in the movement, in the, in the way. So it changes mind and discover something that you must make on the, uh, alone. So we can have uh, the same figure, Hanebe, with a cup, but uh, is uh, more psychological of Canova. In Canova there is the movement. Here to Torvalsen, we can discover in a sense that the strength inside the statue. When Torvalsen understands in his life that it is not is unuseful to copy a genius, okay. but it's better to be a genius. <laughs> so it's uh, okay. and start to become really the biggest Danish artist. It's an exhibition where you start with Canova. As you see, I'm Italian and very loving Canova because it's changed really over our uh, Italian heart in the 19th century. But in the same time, uh, we can discover this Danish artist. And you understand also at the end that you start to love sculpture and not only painter. <laughs> Giovanni, we can't take up too much more of your time because you're a busy man. But let's, as we walk back towards the entrance, let me ask you a couple of final questions, yes, weaving, weaving our way through a really busy art gallery here. <laughs> as a, you mentioned right at the beginning that you know, you're bringing together money and art. Is there a sense in which you are fulfilling some sort of mission by displaying these works by working so hard to bring together all these artists and the like is it, and the relationship between money and art perhaps yes it's the main also the the aim of inter san paolo that uh, believe that uh, banks uh, not only must uh, produce uh, and credit uh, the italian economy and, and uh, help the worldwide economy but at the same time sculpture and uh, and the valorization of this important collection can be a good point to improve economy. So culture makes sense of a bank. A bank helps culture to grow. Giovanni, 
thank you for your time. Grazie mille. Grazie a voi. Thanks a lot. <laughs> and the exhibition is here till the 15th of March. March. So next you have the time. I come to see because it's very, I think it's very it's difficult to see this, uh, this huge sculpture, uh, this incredible beauty. So come. Well, I must say, I'm I, 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 I feel for you. <laughs> I feel very privileged. Uh, to have been here with you today. I'm, I'm very Me grateful. And that's it for this episode then of the Intesa Sao Paulo Talks. Uh, if you'd like to hear other episodes, then please subscribe to us using your usual podcast provider. In the meantime, thank you very much for listening and see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Intesa Sao Paulo Talks presented by Guy Ruddle.